This is Linux Unplugged, episode 20, for December 24th, 2013. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's making our list and checking it twice. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey, Matt. Episode 20, buddy, and it's a happy holiday around here. I've got the Christmas tree up, uh, but I'm going to be honest. That top star, I tried to put it on the top of the tree. I was foiled, Matt. The hole is too small. And You know, I've had that problem with yeah. more things than just the tree, but it's, I've also yet to put decorations up, so I won't talk. It's been a reoccurring, uh, boy, you better get on it, Matt. It is. I know. Well, we <laughs> yeah. got the tree up, but we have no decorations. We're kind of looking at it like, eh, oh. do I really care? It's a staged yeah. approach. No. Uh, yeah, right? You've got to think about this. So first, <laughs> it's, it's a lot like software deployment. You deploy yes. your base package, make sure everything's stable. you got to run that for a little bit, make sure your change control committee has signed off on the deployment. And then once the tree is up, you deploy the lights. And then once the right. committee signed off on that, you deploy the decorations. Yeah. No, I understand. That's good. You're doing it the safe approach. See, here, we just do it shotgun at the Fisher residence. We just throw things on there. I like that idea. I like that idea. Personally, I say lights and tinsel, you're done, right? Right. That's all you really need. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm one of those people who'd actually like to keep the tree up all year round because I just like the ambient light it gives off. But we <laughs> we have also now, because we're parents, we have uh, used the tree as a, a motivator to make our children behave when we have a babysitter. So I went out and did some Christmas shopping. And uh, my wife was going out and doing some scrapbooking. And both parents, you know, were leaving the house. Doesn't never happens. Probably happens. Probably only time it's ever happened in this year alone. Uh, and so we thought, well, we'll reserve some of the decorations. And that way, the babysitter can leverage the decorations to, to uh, uh, solicit the cooperation of the children. And I'm not saying you should leverage the holiday spirit when possible, but <laughs> yeah. personal experience does show it does seem to work. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, uh, our first one is something we've been getting a lot of emails about. And, you know, I, to be honest with you, I haven't seen a big controversy with it, so I haven't covered it on any of our shows yet. But we've gotten a lot of emails, and Mark just had a really good, concise email about it. Uh, he writes in, he says, uh, I just saw an article about Canonical asking the Linux Mint project uh, and maybe other Ubuntu-based distros to license the Ubuntu binary files in their software repo. Whatever happened to open source and the well, GPL? <laughs> So, so here's the I, – I, and I'll cut through what everybody in the – I'm going to say 99% of the Linux community misunderstands about how the GPL license works. Free is in freedom, not free is in beer. And so when something is done a certain way and if it's allowable, you know, if you're, if you're not – you're not actually working with the code. You're working with those particular packages and however they d- determine to, uh, you know, the act of compiling them or whatever it is, whatever they got going on, honestly, at the end of the day – I'm not really a fan of the idea. I think it's a mis- huge mistake. But um, Isn't it more can of- they do it? Can they do it? Yeah. They well, can. sure. They sure they can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they can. can. Totally do. That's the, that's but see, that's what people. Do you remember don't when the Firefox? Can. Do you remember that when Firefox and uh, Debian had their whole falling out? Oh, and they renamed yes, it over to the Ice- trademark logos. Yeah, yeah. and everybody got Ice all weasel. Yeah. about it. Yeah. So uh, the, the Distro Watch ran this report based on a comment that Clem made on his blog post. Now I want to give you guys a sense of actually how old this is. I yeah. so Clem made this post. Remember back uh, a few weeks ago. When a couple of Ubuntu developers, and actually one that's not even—I don't think he's in the Ubuntu project anymore—Ben um, yeah. made some comments that sometimes Mint is behind the ball on security updates. At that time, Clem did a very good, very rational follow-up post that said, "Here's what's really going on." And in that, towards the end of that post, he made reference that, "Oh, by the way, I've been speaking with Canonical Legal." about licensing their binary files. In fact, uh, this is the slash dot post on it. It's pretty brief. It says, Clem has claims he has been asked by Canonical's legal department to license the binary packages used by Ubuntu. Uh, he says, to me, this is scary, a scary thought. Uh, Ubuntu is, is a, a Ubuntu-based distributions for many, pro- is for many projects out there. Some of them, such as uh, Mint and Kubuntu, are quite mm-hmm. successful. Clem's statement makes it clear if Canonical, that Canonical has approached other open-source projects about licensing the right across Ubuntu's repos. Um, they go on to ask, would derivative distributions need to pay to use Canonical's packages? How would Canonical enforce such a policy with lawyers by blocking access to repositories 
if they isn't using genuine Ubuntu. Now, uh, I thought it would be negligent here on our part to uh, pick our, our resident uh, Ubuntu expert. Now, he, uh, Popey, will be speaking on behalf of himself, not the canonical company. But I wonder, Popey, do you kind of agree with me? Is this kind of a non-story? I mean, we've seen this before, like with upstream vendors, right? And Firefox comes to mind. Uh, Firefox is um, has contacted has contacted distributions in the past and said, hey, could you not use our branding and our slogan? If you're if you know if you're going to follow these rules, you, you either need to license this from us or you need to come up with something else. Is right. is Popey, in your opinion, is this what we're seeing here? Um, it's tricky. Yeah, I, I'm not speaking for Canonical. This is my personal opinion, and I can see why there's some uproar. I can see why there's backlash because you know we give everything away for free, right? You know, you get the the Ubuntu software for nothing, and then hang on, this guy's trying to make a derivative of Ubuntu, and it's seen by many as competition for us and maybe some people see us as you know butthurt that some guy's getting a lot of attention and maybe we're trying to get some money out of him you know to to compensate us for that but my my perspective i don't think that's the case i think what you've got to remember is that there's the ubuntu project itself there's the derivatives which you know your list your listener mentioned kubuntu Mm -hmm. but he mentioned kubuntu and mint in the same breath and they're not really the same kubuntu edubuntu mythbuntu and all the other uh flavors have um have been brought into the the ubuntu project and Uh, they have some level of responsibility for the packages that they deliver so the kubuntu project actually work on their KDE packages. And we have a level of responsibility to ensure that the rest of the archive works with what they make. It's kind and of the under same the same umbrella. The others. Okay. Yeah. And and so we work together. We work collaboratively on the same set of packages. So we don't, you know, ask the Kubuntu developers to have some kind of, you know, payment licensing thing because they're working on the same set of packages that we are. Whereas derivatives, some derivatives will take our source packages and rebuild them. I can't for the life of me think of anyone who does that, but that's possible in the in the way that SteamOS have rebuilt the Debian packages. Uh, so Valve have rebuilt the Debian packages for SteamOS. Right. They've built their own binaries based on the Debian source packages. So and that that's seen as okay. Um, whereas Linux Mint are not doing that. What Linux Mint are doing is um, delivering an ISO image which points to our archive and our mirrors, which are maintained by people that we pay right. and our community and the bandwidth work on our project, and they're getting the benefit from that. So I can see how I can see both sides of it, but I can I can certainly so see have why you heard of any? Is there a financial terms here? Have you heard of anything like that? Is there a is there a I have no idea. Okay, because I can in a way. Uh, I suppose you can make the same argument with somebody like uh, Integros, right? Where um, they're building a product, but they're using the hosting of Ubuntu. So Mint is building their their desktop, but if you turned off one night, if boom, all of the Ubuntu repos were turned off, Mint would become unfunctional. It'd be it would be dysfunctional. Right. And, I, and I don't I don't actually think Mint accounts for a huge proportion of the traffic to our mirrors. Um, I know. Um, people might think that Mint actually, given its ranking on DistroWatch, think that it's got you know, twice the number of users Ubuntu has. That flat out isn't the case. No, I know. I'm, I'm certain Anyone it following has significantly Watch lower. Yeah. yeah, no, that's yeah. yeah. So, so I'm not sure it makes a significant dent in the archive, in the in the in the mirrors, the traffic. But it's it's just to me, it's irresponsible for them to put out an ISO image which depends on. Uh, what is in effect their competitor's product? You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have. Um, but can't you make uh, that same exact argument? I mean, you can't make the repo argument, but you can make the derivative argument between Ubuntu and Debian itself. We rebuild every package, right? I know, I understand. So you we, host we, it. We have we have developers who are paid to do the patching and and um, maintain those packages in Ubuntu. Yeah, sure. There are some that are just straight out rebuilds. Yeah, we've imported them from Debian and we real build them on our vast array of servers yeah. and we host them on our, on our yeah. servers and then our, our mirrors, you know, mirror them. Um, so I don't think it's, it's very, it's, it's the yeah. same. No, it's you're similar. right. Cause it's, it's, sure, it's, it's more similar. akin to more like Red Hat and CentOS's relationship in a sense. Where yeah, CentOS and SteamOS is, and Debian. Yeah. Where they're, where exactly SteamOS is also taking on the burden of the infrastructure and re, and, and the rebuilding of many of the packages, just like CentOS rebuilds all the packages, takes on the burden of hosting those packages and those repos. Uh, so if, imagine, imagine, for example, if Linux Mint 
said, um, you know, whatever desktop they're using, Mate, Cinnamon, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and mm-hmm. they said, okay, here are all the packages that, that for where we are different from Ubuntu. Let's try and get those in the archive, in the Ubuntu archive. Yeah. And then once they're in the Ubuntu archive, Linux Mint is for want of a better word, a flavor of Ubuntu. It can still be called Linux Mint, I'm sure. You know, you can you can still have your default desktop that isn't Unity if you don't like that and isn't GNOME 3 if you don't like that. You can still have whatever, you know, bits and bobs you want. But they're in the archive. They're well-maintained. You know, they get security updates, timely fashion that I know Ollie and Ben alluded to in that in that blog post. But there there isn't this... Um, our competitor building on the stuff that we've we've already built for them, if that makes sense. And and the other thing that I I personally think is a bit is a bit rude is taking the Ubuntu archive and not only reusing it, but then going. Go ahead. What happened? Did we lose him? I guess I think he was about to make a, his his best point yet. <laughs> well, well, we'll come back to that point. I think yeah. that you know, from my perspective, and I think he brought up some really good points. You're I have con- concerns over the. Uh, you know, the political up. capital that actually is played into it and that, you know, regardless of what company it may be, any public facing company that's put into that really tough position um, has to make a pl- – you know, it's, it's about to make that play. Are they in a position to actually back that up? Are they in a position to potentially deal with – even if it's unfair fallout, to deal with what's going to be fallout over that? We've seen this with other uh, stuff, that, other challenges that uh, they've faced. So I, I have some yeah. concerns there. And know. it is interesting to look in there in the uh, – Oh, there Chris we go. Sure. All right, we got him back. I think uh-huh. you're back. I think you're back. Hi there. Yep. We were here the whole time. I know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what happened. I think it was. Yeah, uh, I think so. I don't know if you guys have seen Thor, but uh, the uh, five realms are aligning, and sometimes yeah. there are uh, phases between the realities. I think I blame Thor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, isn't it that? So one? did I drop out partway through? What I'm saying? You were you were just about to you were uh, yeah. you were wrapping up your thought on on uh, the uh, sort of uh, the use of the repos. I think yes. So the, the yeah the last thing that I think is just a little bit rude is if you're going to use someone else's archive, don't go through replacing all the affiliate links. Which I know Mint do. Ah, right. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, yeah. that definitely wins a douche award. Absolutely. You know, I don't mean to harsh yeah. on what? Mint, but there is there is some sort of um, there is a like, boy, it's almost like the mob a little bit. Like you got the Ubuntu boss, and then you got the guy yeah. working under the Ubuntu boss, who maybe should be kicking up a little bit to the boss, right? Because he's the, the boss capital. letting him work in his district. I've lost track of who's the boss now. Well, yeah, but you, <laughs> that was a very popular show at one time. I don't, I don't necessarily think I'm ready to take sides on this argument, but I think, it, I think the canonical argument is one to be considered because, uh, yeah, there, you're you're basing a lot of mint success on Ubuntu. In fact, I, I, I was having a discussion in our chat room early this morning. Um, that uh, somebody was in the chat room who was having some troubles with Linux Mint Debian edition, and I, I love. The Linux Mint Debian edition exists, and I think that's I think that's a really good thing. But uh, what I, I don't see the I don't see the purpose of it compared to straight up Linux Mint because straight up Linux Mint is based on Ubuntu, and the primary advantage I see there is Ubuntu compatibility. I.e., if you want to install something for Ubuntu, it installs perfectly on Linux Mint. Well, and, that's not entirely true either. I mean, they claim binary compatibility with yeah, Ubuntu, but that's yeah. not entirely true. No, it's it, no, and and we get we get um, yeah. I know we get people asking us for support on Mint, and the, you know, sometimes there's things, things that don't, don't work on Mint that work on Ubuntu. Way. Really? Yeah, I've experienced. Yeah, it. it's oh. it's not terribly common, but when you hit, you hit it, you hit it like a brick wall. Well, yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Also, so. y'all forget um. The whole uh, browser search engine thing, they get uh, Yahoo pays them to not use Google in the, uh, the web browser like for yeah, Firefox. They yeah. replace the search engine. So, search engine. so what would be really that, nice though. is if we worked together and, uh, right, and yeah. had a set, of, a set of packages which, you know, were robust, well-tested, secure I think, for our users and Mint users. I think, Popey, what you're saying there is a great idea if things were started today. But you have to, you know, when I look back, I look at, I, I look at Clem as a crazy son of a bitch who has taken on way more than he can. And I, and, and, and by my estimation should have burned out like two or three years ago. Right. But the man just keeps moving on. And really, I believe at the end of the day, it is because he focuses on creating a desktop that he believes should truly represent what the Linux desktop is capable of. And what he's primarily focuses on is creating that thing. And like for me, for example, there are many things in my life, in my professional career, in my personal career that fall to the side 
aside because I am so focused on making that next show. And that's all I think about. And I think he's the same way about Linux Mint. He is so zeroed in on that. The idea of collaborating and working with a company where you got to go through three or four levels of management, maybe through the PR person, it is definitely an absolute appropriate proposition. But if you told me that, I'd basically tell you to go fuck yourself. I got better stuff to do, right? I, I have I, I got to focus on my work. I don't have time to play politics or politics. And I think that's where he's coming from, appropriate or not. And I would maybe suggest that Mint has reached the size where that is no longer appropriate. Yeah, I think he does feel, you know, from the way I've read his blog post, that a lot of this kind of politicking is a massive waste of his time right. and resources. Right. And that he has a lot better things to do. And I can see that, you know, given he's a small developer team, you know, I, yeah. don't get me wrong. I have no problem with Mint existing. I have no problem with them using, personally using the Ubuntu archive. I just want it all to be above board and for people to stop yeah. slinging mud at each other. And it also seems like I can see the perspective too. It's like, well, look, if you, you know, if your success is going to be kind of based on our labors, if you're going to stand on our shoulders, maybe we could work together as much as possible to make it an equitable position for everybody. And I think that's actually completely reasonable too. Uh, so anyways, so that's our thoughts. If you guys have been wondering why, uh, where our stance is on this whole thing, I know we've, we've had a few threads in the Linux Action Show subreddit. And we've also had... Plenty of emails about it. So, Mark, thanks for emailing in and kicking that topic off. I think that was a good discussion to be had. And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on it, too. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and pop that contact link. Choose Linux Unplugged from the dropdown and send us in your thoughts, and we'll read them up as follow-up in uh, next week's episode. But before we go on, I want to thank our first sponsor this week, and that, my friends, is DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean has opened my eyes that cloud hosting can be one part awesome, two parts simple, straightforward, and also under your control. And that that last little bit there, that where I had a comma and I said, oh, by the way, it's also under your control. Wait, let's put an underline and italicize that because I think that's the biggest point. You get root access to the devices you create. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a server in 55 seconds. You know, I did it in 45 seconds. You can do it. Time it. Time it and let me know. 55 seconds, though, that's the average. And their pricing plans start at $5 per month for 512 megabytes of RAM. And I want to remind you, Linux has amazing memory management. 512 megs of RAM on a server that doesn't run a GUI can get you so far. A 20 gigabyte SSD, again, everything I just said applies to SSD. And yes, it's a 20 gigabyte SSD when you pair that with the DigitalOcean uh, internet speeds. Woo! Dude, I'm, that. I, dude, when I'm updating Arch, I, yes, I have an Arch server. Everybody get <laughs> off my sack. I have an Arch server. When I am updating Arch... <laughs> Watching those packages fly down and update, it's as fast as that SSH session can send me the updates. It is a beautiful thing. Plus, you also get a terabyte of transfer. I like that. I mean, it's just so stupid, stupidly reasonably as far as price is ridiculous. It's so simple to follow, too. Not only is it $5. Can you click a button? I mean, yeah, right. Yeah, the droplet deployment is super easy. It's $5 to start with the base server. That's what I've got. If you use the promo code Linux Unplugged December, you'll get a $10 credit, which will get you two months. And check this out. The next box up, $10 a month. The box up after that, $20 a month. The next one, $40. You get it, right? It's very simple, very straightforward. DigitalOcean also offers hourly pricing. Now, why would you want hourly pricing? Well, think about this. Maybe you've got a project that you want to have a few folks bang on. Maybe you've got a client you want to spin something up they can test on because one of the things DigitalOcean offers you is the ability to clone your droplet. So if you have a really nice setup with maybe Ubuntu 12.04 and LAMP stack, or maybe you've got Arch in the LAMP stack and you have a project on there you want to deliver to a client, you can spin up an hourly server, the client bangs on it for a few hours, gives you their feedback, and then you turn it back down. That's where the hourly pricing comes in. But if you're like me and you want to have some infrastructure support, I have a distribution system over BitTorrent Sync for the unfiltered supporters, and I use DigitalOcean to supplement that, to make it better. So that way my customers, uh, aka our supporters, have an amazing experience that saturates their download capacity, and DigitalOcean provides that. So go over to DigitalOcean.com, use our promo code Linux Unplugged December, you'll get a $10 credit, which if you use the $5 box like I'm using, that's going to be two months. By the way, DigitalOcean also offers a vast collection of tutorials in their community section on their site. Furthermore, users can submit an article to the community and get paid $50 per published piece. We'll have a link to that in the show notes right underneath the banner. So go over to DigitalOcean and use the promo code Linux Unplugged December. It is December. almost the end of December, so you better use it while you can. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Love those guys. Woohoo! So, uh, Filio Polymath wrote in. I, I'm wow. not, I don't even think I'm screwing that up. I actually think that's straight up how you say it. Uh, and uh, he has a follow-up on our uh, tiling window manager um, challenge that we're going to be taking in the early 2014. 
He says, uh, a fan of the show, and I heard about the uh, potential tiling challenge and figured I'd uh, shoot you guys a message, which is good, Matt, because I feel yeah. like you and I, um, we have vacationed in tiling window managers, but we have never stayed there. Right? Is that true? This for is you? true. Yeah. I say it's more like timeshare, but with the high pressure sales pitch. Right. Basically, and, and that would be coming from the chat room. So. I spent I spent like a week, <laughs> I think, once in awesome yeah. for the Linux Action Show. I, I it was like forever ago. He says uh, I posted in the subreddit, but I thought maybe I'd send this in just to make sure you guys saw it. Uh, he wants to this Matt. Also, by the way, I think might this might be the way to go. He says if you're interested okay. in different window managers, I would suggest you check out Linux Barbecue. It has a distro called Gang Bang. All right? Okay, so... Okay, uh, you, got, you got my attention. I'm interested. <laughs> in, in, the, in the window manager. Man. I mean, I'm just saying, man. Yeah. I'm just... I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, maybe this would be the way you'd like dip your toe and figure out what you're comfortable with. You know, you could swing from desktop to desktop just to see what you like. Uh, he says it has dozens of window managers to check <laughs> out in a live distro. He says a crazy group that is developed uh, through CrunchBang, if I'm not mistaken. In fact, there's a link in CrunchBang's forms where someone tested out 30 window managers in 30 days i gotta be honest i've been wanting to try that 30 things out in 30 uh, anyways uh, a lot of that info is experiment in linux barbecue's wiki we've mentioned linux barbecue in the past uh, he said i also want to say i completely agree that uh, what was posted before i think mentioned last week's show which would be better to make your own complete desktop environment you're kind of rolling your own distro in a sense he says this is how I do it. For example, I have Debian testing net install, which brings me to a console. Then I upgrade to SID, I install systemd, and I just start configuring. I use i3 window manager or FB term with tmux, depending on my mood. I set my background VFF and I not, and or nitrogen. Lately, I've used X, XFE or Midnight Commander as a file manager. I bring in the tools that I think are best, borrowing from other window managers and desktop environments as I see fit, and I piece it together into my ultimate desktop environment. But I'm a little crazy with things like Linux Barbecue Group. I use terminal programs like RSI and, and UMCPOP and Piano Bar, etc. when I can, and I've been known to throw some heavy GUI apps on the screen when I need or want to. So I want to get say, give it a little time, have some fun with it, get inspired, and by other people and and uh, follow other people and their configs like unixporn.reddit.com that's which is by the way unixporn.reddit.com is a great place to be inspired by your desktop config uh, and i love to hear how you guys fared after some much deserved vacation time i wish both of you and your families a merry christmas philo polio math well you know i never thought at 40 years old i'd be saying hey chris let's uh, let's go check out this gangbang but apparently <laughs> yeah. that's what we're going to be doing so i, I, I like, like this okay. got barbecue in the name too man it's <laughs> right, like totally yeah. right up my alley well and it's got barbecue and if it has the barbecue sauce then we've made the connection so one of the things mm. this this is just a big go figure uh i um i haven't been using my bonobo for the last couple episodes of the linux action show but i have on my bonobo i think zeroed in on the most amazing KDE configuration that has ever been conceived on the planet Earth. I mean, I I look at it. I'm looking at it right now because you're you know you're skyped in on it. I I mean, Matt, I'm telling you, I look at the screen and it is like I a know. freaking piece of art. So it, oh. now, now I got this pressure from the Linux Action Show audience to try out these window tiling window managers, and here I am. I got yeah, KDE just like the way I like it. Yeah, I mean, because it's you know, it's apples and oranges as far as what you, what you're gaining from each. I mean, the tiling Windows Manager, I guess, is. Not, I still don't really understand the appeal. I guess it's for if you have limited screen real estate. No, I think I got it. I think I got it. So, yeah. what I, I discovered when I did the Arch Challenge, and which ended up appealing okay. to me, is I kind of was, I was taking all of my experience from every other distro that I've used, and bringing it together in one configuration that I really liked. Mm -hmm. Um. And what I mean by that is because you pick at each layer in Arch what you want to use from your sound right. system to your font rendering, right? And mm -hmm. I, so I knew I like this from this distro. I like this from this distro. And at the end, I, uh, even though it's labeled Arch Linux, it's, it's basically Chris's OS. It is exactly right. like my custom-built system. And, and so what – two things. On a rolling release – the more complex your GUI is, the more, you know, GNOME and KDE, the more complex it is, I got to believe the more high, high, higher likelihood it's going to break on a rolling release. Oh, so yeah. there could be motivation when you're using a rolling release to uh, stick with a more simple streamlined window manager that something like i3 or awesome because it's less likely to break. So I think that could be one motivating factor. But second of all, like uh, our like uh, like polymath is saying here, he's 
pulling in the terminal programs he likes. He's pulling in the file manager he likes. He brings mm-hmm. in the compositor that he thinks has the fanciest or, or whatever effects he likes. And he is essentially taking that philosophy of building your core Linux system, and he's bringing it all the way up to building the whole entire desktop environment. Right? It's like the ultimate customized system. It's like you custom yeah, build your car, yeah. and you even custom build the dashboard display, right? And I guess that's what it is. I think the I think dashboard display is really what he's I, what people are into. I guess with this, that's tough. Yeah, I, um, I, I get because I get because like with Arch, it's like I totally get that because it's like you're customizing your experience. With this, you must be customizing your your user experience, and so, but it just seems so minimalist. I guess that's yeah. kind of what you're going for. <laughs> like, I, I don't uh, know. Casey yeah. uh, fifty cents in the chat room is a TWM can really look cool, but dang, Chris Les needs his KDE Connect. You know what? He jokes, but I like my KDE yeah. Connect. I like my widgets, and I like my my uh, my photo slideshow on my desktop. Right? I like I like having my CPU meters on the desktop and in my right. menu bar. Right. Um, so I mean, because for a lower end machine, you know, or, or an older computer, I can totally yes, see yes, yes. minimal going minimalist yep. as much as possible. But right. for a higher end machine, it's just kind of like. I, I would have to I, I would have to understand the psychology behind the reasoning behind it more. From a financially sensible standpoint, mm-hmm. from a practical standpoint, from a system resources standpoint, I can totally understand it. Mm-hmm. But from a I want shiny. <laughs> yeah, and, and here's why. I think I'm justified in wanting shiny because um I've I have lived through all of it. Okay? Yeah. So you're not I'm not I, it's not quaint for me. It's not quaint for uh, me to have the computer that can't figure something out where right. I have to tell it to do something. That's not fun. That's something computers should be good at by now. And yeah. I sit in the camp where I want my goddamn window to wiggle because, damn it, I lived through a time when we didn't even have sec- separated GPU cards. And then we had Matrox video cards that had, had to have special video games. And you had to have all these special drivers. I lived through all of it. Now, I want to reap the rewards of being there on the front lines, trying everything out pushing things forward, talking about them, experiencing them, blowing my money on crap that never worked out, but the few things that did succeed. I have worked so damn hard over the last 15, 20 years. Why would I forfeit all of that now Mm -hmm. to just give it all up? And it's not that I, I I just don't disparage anybody who chooses to do so because there are completely legitimate reasons that I just laid out. But for me personally, I, I feel like kind of like uh, going back to Thor, I have defended the realms, I have earned my right to party now, and I want to party like it's 2013. Is that so crazy? Is that really so ridiculous? Just because I run Linux doesn't mean I shouldn't party like it's 2013. I don't think it's crazy. I think it's pretty reasonable, actually. I, you know, it's it's interesting that there is a collective mindset for that, and you know, I, there's certainly a, you know, I, I, again, I'm still trying to understand the the desire to go with that whole minimalist point of view. But for me, yeah, I, wh- why do we feel like we have to make do unless there is actually an advantage right. to that? No, that my we're not desktop aware of. should be as yeah. absolutely freaking badass as possible, and right. I so, am personally <laughs> willing to spend a five hundred dollar premium or whatever it is yep. to buy a machine that is resource capable of delivering that and and when i cannot afford to do so i just don't buy right right and then i you know anyways i just <laughs> so but but here's what i'm willing to i i was very opinionated about the whole arch thing to begin with i think i mean i think if you look back at 2013 that was obviously a big a big lesson for chris and matt was this oh, whole yeah, yeah right uh, so i'm totally willing to give the uh tiling window managers a go because i do grok the benefit of like extending that custom built feeling all the way off to the very top to, to layer seven right there with me. I get it. I'm willing to give it a go because at the end I might walk away and say, Oh my God, everybody, the real light is totally tuning in the perfect desktop that makes you the ultimate product product productive son of a bitch. Right. Like oh, yeah. that. And, and then I'll be all on board. But until that point right now, I'm just saying from somebody who hasn't jumped into the tiling window manager challenge yet, I think you guys are a bunch of crazy son of a bitches, but I'm willing to jump yeah. in with you. Well, so it's like, okay, imagine Tron reimagined with the awesome window manager. Are you going to want to see that on no, the big screen? That's boring. You're going to be like, wow, that, that, that literally looks like Flash Gordon from the 40s or 30s or whatever the <laughs> hell it was. It's just kind of like, why? Uh, you know. But again, there may be something to these windows managers that are besides performance right. increase that I'm not aware of. Maybe there, it, it's, do, it does something for me that I'm just not cluing and, in and on. You know, I'll tell you, one of the things when I sit down in front of a <laughs> Mac that drives me totally wonky crazy is like the totally mixed keyboard support uh i i do totally grok um like and honestly when i sit down in windows 
Like, I love, back when I was a consultant, I loved the problems when the mouse wasn't working. Because I was like, F yeah, what's up? It's all keyboard time. Because everything was just right at the keyboard. And, it, and I can totally see how that's great on a tiling window manager. I love yeah. the F out of that on KDE. So maybe I'll, you know, I'll, I'll throw away my mouse. I'll become one with the keyboard <laughs> and it's tiling manager from here on out. But we won't find out until uh, early into 2014. Let, let those gray hairs start coming into the beard there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> go total graveyard on it. You know, I don't know. That, that's, that's a toughie. But I definitely think that it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. But I don't know, man. I'm we'll still, try it. We'll find out. A little skeptical. It'll be, uh, I don't know when, because uh, we got like we got a lot of things coming up. But uh, I want to yeah. tell you about something else I'm passionate about, and that is Ting.com. Now, Ting are sponsors right here of Linux Unplugged. Ting is mobile that makes sense because there's no contracts. There's no early termination fee. And here's the part that makes the most sense. You only pay for what you use. It's a $6 flat line, and then it's just they just take your messages, your minutes, and your megabytes, and they add it up at the end of the month. You buy your phone. You own it outright. And what's brilliant about Ting is not only do they have a support staff of Canadians ready to answer your call at as it comes up, Ting is from the guys that made Two Cows. They've been changing this stuff for a long time. Everything Ting gets into or everything Two Cows gets into, they really want to make a difference. Ting is very passionate about this because they feel there is big changes to be made in the mobile industry. And let's be honest, there are. Because all of these mobile plans you buy into adds a ton of waste to your monthly budget. You pay into some sort of minutes or megabytes you don't end up using or you go over where Ting will just take your messages, your minutes, and your megabytes, add them all up at the end of the month, whatever bucket you fall into, that's what you pay for. Unless Limited devices on your account for just $6 per month. So if you're a small business, if you're a family, if you're a team of folks, you can make it super easy. If you're a developer and you, or if you're IT support and you need to have multiple iterations of Android devices or BlackBerry devices or Windows to phones or even the iPhone 4 or 4S, which now work on Ting, and you want to have them on, on one account so that way you can test things for your clients, for your apps, whoever it is, Ting makes that super easy because you only pay for what you use on those devices. Add a whole bunch on your account. You just pay that flat $6 and then what you use on top of that. That makes testing super straightforward. Plus, when you combine that with the Ting dashboard, you're really cooking with gas because it's a super simple interface that also gives you tons of controls from activating, deactivating devices, setting up call forwarding, voicemail rules. Matt, you know, when you signed up for Ting, did you call or did you use the uh, online dashboard completely? I used the online dashboard completely, and that was what was awesome because even when I had the uh, to basically detach you from it and then reattach myself from it, I was able to figure out how to do that completely from their help file, which yep. was or their help section, which is super easy to use. Yep. And literally did that, boom, done, completed, refreshed my dashboard. I was good to go. I, I couldn't believe how stupid simple it was. It was I great. Know. You know, when I got my uh, Nexus Five from the Google Play Store, uh, it came in the Ting portfolio, and in there they had just a little business card. You pull out the business card. It says go to ting.com like slash activator something like that. And it's just step by step by step all through the web interface. I never had to call, but I always know if I get a position where I need to call a real support representative, if you call between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern, we'll answer that phone. And, and they really are empowered not only to solve the problem, but they're actually enthusiasts of Android and, and all the other mobile devices that Ting carries. That's something they specialize in, which is really kind of peace of mind. You recommend well, to family, you know, that kind of thing. Well, and totally the one takeaway, if I could like institute one thing to everybody and just really push this forward, they don't live on scripts. And having dealt with the various companies yeah, recently no that are script-based, script, uh, script based, you, you're going to love that alone. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that by itself just makes my day. Yeah, Ting hires, their support representatives are, are folks who are champions of, of mobile and Android in their peer groups. And so Ting says, why don't you come work for us and help out our customers? So here's how you get started. Go over to linux.ting.com. That'll take $25 off your first month of service, or it'll take $25 off your uh, first device if you don't have one yet. They are a uh, MVNO of the Sprint Network, so if you have good Sprint service in your area, you're going to get amazing Ting service. So go to linux.ting.com. And a huge thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. All right. So um, <clears throat> brace yourself for this one, guys. I've got uh, the, the Times, the Time Magazine, Top 10 Tech Gadgets of the Year. Number 10. I won't go through all of these. Don't worry. I'm not going to. It's not going to be that boring. Uh, number 10, the Nokia Lumia 1020. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's got a good camera. I mean, <laughs> wow. it does. It has a good camera. Uh, well, that's like saying a cinder block has a great camera. I mean, okay, you take a cinder Ouch. block and I, ta and I type, you know, tape a really great camera to it, but really? Xbox One made number mm -hmm. six. Apple iPhone 5S made number five. Pebble Smartwatch number four. Oculus Rift, number three, Apple's new iPad, number two. But the number one Time Magazine gadget of the year is the Google Chromecast, a Linux-based device. 
Can you hear that? Listen closely. Can you hear the sound of the residual checks being cashed? I can. Um, so uh, <laughs> I, I have Jeez. a Google Chromecast, and Man. Matt, I got to be honest, I have not really had an opportunity to try I, it I out. I just don't understand why. I, I, I genuinely don't get why anyone can. I don't understand. It's how, like about, it, how about this? Sunday, I, remind me. Why don't you take my Chromecast yeah. home and try it out? I'll try it out because maybe I'll hate on it less because, I mean, for me, it's just kind of like it, it, if you don't have an existing option, okay, cool. That's awesome. So here's but, what here's yeah, what the advantage. I mean, it, it, okay. okay. So uh, it's a little device. You plug into your HDMI port. You also need to have USB power nearby or they include an adapter. Uh, it runs Gen 2 Linux with a, a Chrome OS binary that runs in the background. And from your Android device, you can come across a Netflix video, a YouTube video. Um, uh, there's Plex now has support for Chromecast. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, well, now, all right. now, that, Hold now, on. I can, now I'm starting to care. <laughs> right? Right. Okay. So picture this. Yeah. You, you, you take the Plex app. You put it on your Note 2. Okay? Because first of all, Note 2 has an amazing screen for watching Plex videos. Yeah, right. So, uh, but $35 for the Chromecast. Okay. So you could put a Chromecast on every TV in the house that has an HDMI port for $35. You start Plex on the phone. You select your video. You hit play. You say send a, you send, you say send a Plex or you say send a Chromecast. Yeah. Uh, it sends the commands and it creates the connection between your Plex server and the Chromecast directly. And then you could turn your phone off. And now you don't have to have a Roku. You don't have to have anything else. You just have to have a $35 Chromecast connected to your TV and you can send your Plex media to it. You can send your Netflix, your music, those kinds of things. So the differentiator as far as like why you and I would care, for example, is that for us right now to run Plex, we're actually using a computer. I'm using or a Roku. Or Roku, yeah. Well, I mean, for yeah, the computer to stream, you still have yeah. to have a Plex server. You still have to have a right. Plex server with the Chromecast. Exactly. Yeah. So that okay. Actually, so even with the Chromecast, you still have to have a Plex server yeah. then, because that was really my big thing. Is that it sounds like because I know there's actually AirPlay options for Roku, be it they're not awesome. I mean, they they definitely have a long way to go. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'll have to play with it and really wrap my well, head around. Here's there's, what, there's another limit though. What? The Chromecast uh, Plex support requires the Plex subscription to send anything at yeah. all through Plex. Yeah, you got to have the Plex Pass. Yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, that's just I Plex is so awesome. It's just I shit. have a Plex Pass because it is so yeah. awesome. But yeah. uh, here's what Time Magazine said. They said instead of trying to do everything like Google's famously ambitious and unsuccessful Google TV, this some this thumb sized gizmo does one thing and does it simply as possible and does it for the impulse purchasing price of thirty five dollars. Plug it into one of your TV's HDMI ports and you can fling videos and other content from your laptop, your tablet, or your phone to the big screen with no wires involved. Lots of companies have built devices to do this, but Chromecast is the first one to get it right. And I think there's another important point, another important point to point out. Wow. Is uh, you can get an extension for Chrome and you can send individual tabs to Chromecast. Now that now that that I care about. So you're saying that I could go to like abc.com and actually yes. send that to my. Now right. I care. Right now right. I doesn't care. work okay. very well though. I would expect not to work too well. But question eh, though, no, why, why couldn't you just get a five dollar ten gig USB stick and put <laughs> right. XPNC on there? Hmm? Like like XPNC Ubuntu or something like that on there, and it'd be way better. Well. I mean, for us, yes, but for the average user, what we have is we have a really big problem in the living room, and Chromecast is, first of all, it's solving the price point, but the beauty is, is everybody's got a smartphone now, and, right. uh, you know, all you need is the $35 Chromecast and a smartphone. They see each other like some kind of internet magic, and you just push a button on your smart device, and it just sends it to your TV, and it is very simple, and I'll be honest... Until you've tried it, it, it doesn't sound like it's that amazing, but uh, we've got an iPad and an Apple TV. Well, not anymore, but we used to have an Apple TV in the house that my dad got me for Christmas a couple of years ago, which I don't have anymore. But Oh, yeah, we got a jailbroken one. Yeah, totally. It, that whole, like, you're on the iPad and you push one button and all mm -hmm. of a sudden everything you're watching on the iPad's on the TV and it is so effing seamless and then you can, okay. like, continue to use the device for other things. It yep. honestly feels like the effing future. It feels like what 2013 should feel like. And Chromecast brings that down to $35 and anybody that wants to build that into their Android app. And it, it's interesting because, like, a lot of people probably don't know this. Uh, the Roku, I think it's the Roku LT, uh, oddly enough, experienced a recent price drop to, I think, $35, oddly, again. Obviously, the timing is just perfect for that. So it's going to be interesting to see how they stack up because I think I have one of the uh, the XT or whatever the hell it is. And just to kind of get an idea on performance, what its capabilities are, does it really woo me? Because I'm, I'm a rabid Roku fan. The rabid. problem is, is all yeah. of these things are not, in my opinion, good enough. Like the uh, So uh, first of all, the Google uh, 
number one problem with the Chromecast is tied to Google. I don't like yeah. that. Yeah, I don't uh, uh, second, second problem with the Chromecast is it's tied to Android. Not a huge fan of that. XBMC is great, but doesn't solve the AirPlay-like functionality. And I think it that's doesn't. A, I yeah. think that's a big gap. It, it, it is. I run XBMC on my uh, old jailbroken Apple TV, and honestly, I, ever since moving to Plex, I just don't really use it anymore. Um, it's it just not really happy. It, it does actually support. It does solve the XBMC thing, or mm-hmm. XBMC solves it because I'm building a project to solve it. Oh, Tell cool. me about it. what do you mean? That's it's, it's. I'm calling it XBeam MC. So oh. you beam the stuff from your laptop to or your desktop to XBMC and play it however you want, and it's going to support. Uh, everything that you're like you're talking about, like YouTube, but it also like before Chromecast, you you require Plex to do local files, mm-hmm. so you require a subscription to do local. Otherwise, Chromecast can't do local files. Mine is going to, is for XBMC supports everything that XBMC can support, so MKVs, MP4s, whatever, local files, internet files, streaming. So is this like so an like app you streams. install in XBMC? No, it's an app for Linux. So you load XBMC on top of Linux, and then on the Linux system, you you install the XBMC Beam, the XBeam. Right, but it also works with any kind of XBMC, where whatever, regardless of what you put it on. So it works on. So it's an extension, essentially, like the Raspberry Pi and things like that. So you can just right click on YouTube, send to XBMC, it'll send it to it, and start playing immediately. Hmm. Very cool. Sounds rather cool. What is the ETA? Um, probably like a week or two weeks. Nice. Cool. Yeah, keep and us posted. From where you're at on your local, it'll pick up from wherever you're at. Doesn't start the video over. It depends. I mean, like if you're, if it can kind of do that, but it's it's really, if if the the plugin for XBMC supports that, it can do it. If that plugin does not, it will not. See, that's important for me, and what I really dig about the Chromecast is podcasts and videos that I'm watching on my way home. I walk inside and I put them on my TV. Mm, ah, so it okay. like picks up where you left off. What app are yes. you using to do that? That's just Chromecast. But so it's I mean, a YouTube thing. But probably. oh, oh, so you're watching like yeah, so? Yeah. Say you'd watch Linux Unplugged on YouTube, and then yeah, it's usually you guys. So it's you know whatever uh, yeah. podcast Beyond Pod on my Android or whatever through Chrome I'm doing. Does Beyond Pod support Chromecast? It does if mm-hmm. you pay for it. Oh. <laughs> See, well, I'm interested cool. in the uh, plugin myself. I'm interested in see how that works with XBMC because that 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 appeals to me. I like the fact it's not Google. And uh, yeah, mine <laughs> will know? mine will also support the the time thing for YouTube. For like you okay. can play it, and but it might not for other ones. But uh, I'm well, going to try to support it as many okay as I can. Yeah. But the main thing is like the first version might not have all the features yeah. that Chromecast does because I'm not Google. You're you know, exactly right. You you kind of lack the billions of dollars and endless uh, resources. Totally. It feels <laughs> like though. Here we are. Like uh, Google is getting closer to cracking this problem than Myth TV has than XBMC. Well, yeah. I don't know if that's appropriate, but like for the masses, right? Uh, uh, this whole the whole like the smarts and intelligence and the and the picking and the and the content selection is all done from the mobile device. Uh, and then the Chromecast is really like this totally stripped down little ARM device that just plays the stream. Okay, well, here's my thing about the casting of tabs. It's experimental right now and buggy, but as much apps as Google is trying to move to inside the browser, so eventually your apps will just move with you onto whatever device you've got your Chromecast um, plugged into. Hmm. Well, that's that's one of the, the cool things about it, and maybe even Netflix at some point can do that. But for right now, like, for example, uh, Amazon... Um, is a horrible experience because it does not work. I mean, it, it can, it, you can kind of like give it some work around and like wiggle it around and it sometimes will work, but for the most time it doesn't. Well, I do SSH sessions in my browser on people's computers that I don't want to install anything on. I can just, uh, it, within Chrome, do an SSH session and it's really interesting to be able to see what else I'm going to be able to Chromecast. Well, to oh. me, I mean, the, the thing is, is like, the Chromecast, in a sense, almost solves the front-end problem. I plug <clears throat> To me, the Plex solution seems like the superior solution because I take one of these $35 dongles and I plug them into my HDMI TV, and then I have a central Plex server that has one centralized library of all of my media, one index, everything's... If it's marked watched once on TV, it's marked watched everywhere else. It's, it's all one place, plus it has the mobile aspect where I can watch videos out on the go on my mobile device. It seems mm-hmm. like, to me... Chromecast is going to usher in, I don't want to say this, but 
I, I think it begins to. I be, I think it's the first nail in the coffin of things like XBMC and Myth TV. Well, the the XBMC thing is that the what Chrome bring, what Chromecast brings to the same like XBMC does all this stuff, but the problem is that it requires you to install the piece by piece to make it all work. Yeah. Like there's for for saying something has been watched, you can do that, but it requires a plugin for that. And for like mine, it requires my 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 app is going to re- require certain types of plugins. For example, XBMC does not come with YouTube by default. You have to install the YouTube plugin. And it it all works just fine. It's just there's a kind of a an introduction kind of thing you need to know how to install the plugins and things like that. Well, and I also think they're two totally different audiences too because if you think about it, I mean, Chromecast is essentially, like it or not, it's a hardware appliance. I mean, it really at its core really is. It's something you physically plug into your TV. Right, isn't that perfect though because it's not a whole computer. It's not a PC. Yeah, it is. No, that's good. It's $35. Yeah, but XBMC, it's like, you know, Plex didn't kill XBMC. Yeah, and they're, right. they're related. I mean, they're cousins to each other. They're, you know, based on some of the same code and all that, but, or a lot of the well, same code. But the point being, I, I don't know if it'll kill it. Based on XBMC. How much, but how much of the price of the, the oh. Google device is offset by Google's plans to make money off of it from advertising or selling media and other right, things? Right, right. Oh, yeah, so well, that's Google tracking your TV habits. But the average user doesn't know that, though. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm just saying that it. it'll be hard for someone else to build a competing device to the Google yeah. one because they, they can't can, afford yeah. to lose money on it. Right, Google can. Right, exactly. That's true. No, that's good. Well, well XBMC the- also works on the Raspberry Pi, and you can't kill XBMC because it's open source. So, like naturally, yeah. there's always going to be somebody that's going to want to continue it. It's kind of a different as approach. Interest. It's kind yeah. of a different approach to the same problem. But one thing I've been waiting for for a long time now is uh, Wi-Fi Direct on Linux. Because, I mean, you get a wireless display straight from your laptop, mm-hmm. but Intel refuses to support it under Linux. But if they did, I could just hit a button on my laptop and have everything on my laptop on my TV. And for that, that would solve it for yeah, me. Yeah, not everybody's embraced Wi-Di. And I feel like the Chromecast is still, like, it's it's just, at $35, it really is that impulse purchase price on Amazon. Like, I add it to my cart, I just buy it. And it doesn't matter if my TV has Wi-Di support or DLNA. All I need is an HDMI port, and I know my right. Android device can support it. And I feel like now that Plex has supported it, it is now incumbent upon XBMC to support transmitting to XBM or transmitting to the Chromecast, or they're going to get left behind. Because it is, let's be honest, and I I love XBMC, but if I can get almost the same exact results, and and actually in some cases with my kids, it's easier for them to use a tablet. It would actually be easier for them to start a video on a on a tablet and send it to a Chromecast than yeah. to use XBMC. Well, I'm going to just buy a bunch of Chromecasts. There's actually yeah, um, an, a way to do that with XBMC and Android. It's a, a replacement app instead of using the the official remote control app, which is terrible. Use something called Yahtzee. Oh, I've got that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Yahtzee is just, it has the same kind of features. It has a bunch of other things that is just awesome, but it does have the ability to send like YouTube stuff from your Android device to XBMC. See, I'm hopeful. What your XBMC is built on. I just hook up my laptop to my uh, TV and use my phone to control my, the XBMC. The, the thing, the thing I kind of see this is all is, One's a software solution, and the other one's a hardware solution. Uh, the Chromecast is a hardware solution, and it's gonna and it has its its bonuses in that right. But it also has the downside in the fact that, once again, this is something that's going that people are going to buy and think, oh, my my Chromecast is out, outdated because I don't have the V2 Chromecast, whatever. Well, things like XBMC, things like that are are going to be around, are going to be installable. Is that on an issue when it's thirty five dollars? And it seems like it's pretty much just a streaming recipient. So as long as it can handle a seven twenty p or ten eighty p stream, it doesn't have to be that complex. It'll probably last quite a while. Software updates that it gets. Well, it it's like you can like use Raspberry Pi with XBMC, and you still you get updates, you get everything, and it's essentially the same. Price right, and you don't have to go through bit. Google. I agree. Someone should package that up and sell it as an appliance. This is what I'm saying. Well, someone in the chat room actually put up something called Airtame.com, and essentially this is uh, the Google dongle. I mean, I, I, I'm reading this <laughs> over, and it's like, this is the same freaking thing. Yeah, they essentially bill it as wireless HDMI for yeah. everyone. This uh, is cool. With I'm Air- looking this over. It's like, with Airtame crap. HDMI dongle, you can display your computer screen for Mac, Windows, or Linux on your TV or projector wirelessly. Now, this is... Uh, is An this Indiegogo a, thing. But, yeah, yeah, it's in crowdfunding mode. Um uh, 
But it, it kind of does solve the problem, doesn't it? Yeah, and apparently they uh, got their funding. Well, <laughs> so that's cool. Oh, yeah, they it, did, didn't they? Got over 186% oh, yeah. of their funding. And, and they still, still have 31 days, days left. But the so, issue is that this doesn't exist yet. <laughs> it does not so, exist yet, but it's, it's an interesting alternative. And it also kind of speaks to uh, the fact that there will always be an alternative. But at the end of the day, between like uh, XBMC and you know going with the uh, Google dongles, well – you know, totally different audiences of people. Really, at the end of the day, uh, Chris's wife, my wife, they don't give a rat's behind about XBMC. They don't care. They just want it. They want to watch TV. Just make it happen. And so, however, we can as uh, end users make that happen for the others in our house. Great. Um, otherwise, the, if they're just doing it on their own, they're going to go with the complete solution, whatever that happens to be. I think. Yeah. Well, the benefit of mine is that uh, of, of the XBMC and my and, and the way it's built is that with my project, people can look at the code of my project and then see how you can send something to XBMC and put it on whatever they want. Right. That is oh, cool. Totally. Yeah. What we need somebody to do is productize the XBMC platform yeah. so that applications like yours have an opportunity to shine, like Chromecast has productized streaming for Android devices. And let's so be they, honest, yeah, really, Chromecast could. is a response to the Apple TV because AirPlay has been an iOS like since like what, iOS 4 or 5? Yeah, something so, like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're actually behind the ball on this, but... They, but they've really nailed on something here. I mean, they got number, they got Time Magazine's number one gadget of the year for whatever that's worth. Uh, the I think the PR shows, they get is so. It tells yeah. you something though. It tells you there's yeah. a demand. Yeah. Oh no, there's definitely that, a demand. But it's it's comical because I I say the Roku should have been more. So I don't know. I'll I'll review it. But I also runs Linux. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it also I, runs Linux, and it's quite frankly back when it was the Netflix box generation one Roku, which I still have by the way. My you know. Rather, you know, now gone uh, stepfather used to run this, and he didn't know anything about any computers or anything else, and he was able to run it with no problem, even mm-hmm. as it evolved. It was always usable for all generations of people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. It, I think this is just a Me Too product based on my early impressions, but maybe not. Question me- Can you uh, root or um, unlock the uh, Chromecast and just install straight up XBMC on it? I guess there was like a way to do that, but then an update got pushed out that sort of yeah. nuked it. It'll be it was like a, a month yeah. after they It'll released like it. There was a crack. I still have the original OS. It's evil, though, isn't it? No. It's not evil. Not evil. Not evil. Yeah. I still have the original OS on my Chromecast that I'll, I'll lend to Matt, and Matt can kick it around. And yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'll definitely be brutal on it. I mean, I'll be very honest about my experience with it because I'm a rabid vo- a Roku person. I, I have a feeling it. it is one of those things that you are skeptical of until you get it, and then you're like, wait a minute, Art. this is really easy. <laughs> right, well, it's just like, yeah. oh, I'm, you know, because it is very easy to be like, oh, I'm going to go down to the living room, and I'm going to watch something. So as I walk into the living room, I, I, I take my Note 2 out, I start the Netflix app, I find the movie I want to watch, I tap play, I send right. a Chromecast, and by the time my TV is turning on, the Chromecast is already streaming it. Well, let me ask you this, because this will decide it for me right here, because this is what Same my – it's going to come down to my wife. Uh, how, how does Ange compare it to the Roku? What's her What's her? Impression? Well, no, I haven't, oh, she hasn't tried it yet, but oh, okay, she's okay. totally comfortable with selecting media on her mobile sure. device. So as long as you're comfortable okay. doing that, it just yeah. – when you have a Chromecast on your network, a new button shows up that oh. you, you just tap and then you say send a, send a Chromecast. Interesting. Yes. Okay. I don't uh, want to be, be uh, annoying about it, but is, is it okay if I shield my website for the project? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think people, XBMC yeah. users would be interested in that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's uh, xbeamc.com. The the site right now is not ready, but by the time this is aired, it will be. X-B-E-A-M-M-C? Uh, MC. Okay. Is there a, a email uh, alert or a RSS or something just to kind of keep people? You know, what? you should put a link yeah, in the will, subreddit. There too. will be tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. When, when <laughs> okay. you're set, when your site's live, subreddit every time. Yeah. Put it yeah. in the subreddit when your site's live, and people can upvote it yeah. and uh, check it out. Isn't all of this just attempts at uh, trying to do what we want? Is that our application should go from device to device seamlessly? Convergence, basically. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I don't know if it's that. I really don't need. I don't need my uh, G Edit document or my Kate document to go between devices. <laughs> but I do need my my Blu-ray rip of Bolt to move between devices. Are you sure you don't want your document between devices? Well, I probably do, but I don't ever really. Like, because all of a sudden you're gonna want to. If you're writing your show notes on your desktop, then you want them to show up on your tablet so you can use it as a teleprompter. Sure, sure. But what about on like, cloud? What, but I never no. need it on my TV. No. Are you sure? No. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never you never know maybe I'll be in the studio one day and I'll want notes up on a big TV screen so actually I shouldn't say that I could see that happening actually well with docs you could do like a presentation method are you talking about Google not, Docs 
No, no, no. I'm talking about if you wanted to send a doc to a TV, you could do it for like presentation. So that you do like yeah. PowerPoint or something. That's well, true. I was thinking for, actually for Chromecast, for I tried. Pl- so where my Chromecast is right now, it's plugged into the back of my uh, my broadcast machine because I thought it'd be a cool way to send um, the tab that I'm currently looking at during Linux Unplugged to the Wirecast machine. Um, uh, because right now I have no way of. Uh, the, Wirecast supplies uh, an add-on product called Desktop Presenter, which allows you to capture your screen and transmit it over the network, and it comes into Wirecast as a camera device. Extremely handy. Very nice feature. Obviously, it's Windows and Mac only. Doesn't work under Linux. But the Chromecast, if I had a physical HDMI device plugged in the back of my Wirecast computer, and then I had the Chrome extension installed on my Chrome browser, and I could transmit my tab to the Chromecast, I would then have a way to, over the network, send the contents of my Linux desktop's browser session to my Wirecast machine. And I thought that would be great, but I, I, I couldn't get it to work. I don't, I don't know why. Um, I, so there's potential there, but... And I think actually a lot of internet producers could find use for that, and just we'll see yep. what happens. Uh, all right. Well, I got an email I wanted to get into um, yeah. before we wrap up for the this week's episode, and maybe the mumble room uh, will have a few. Uh, I don't really have anything for this one, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch this to the mumble room. It came in from Jonathan, and he says, uh, "I really need some help. I got a comic book collection of around two thousand issues, and I used Comic Collector Live." over at ComicCollectorLive.com or ComicCollectors at at ComicCollectors.com software for cataloging my collection. But I've recently switched full-time to Linux. Of course, good man, as he should, morally so. Uh, I had thought about redoing my database until recently I found nothing useful for my needs. I'm willing to spend money if I can get a good program, but I can't find anything. Please help a geek out and let me know is there something in the Linux community for cataloging comic book or graphic novel novel collections? These are not physical books. They're downloaded comics. Thanks. So, uh, Mumble Room, anybody in here have a, an app they use to organize their comic collection on Linux? I use Comics. It's uh, C-O-M-I-X. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, you can also use Calibra. Calibra Office? Yeah, 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 Calibre. Okay, all right. So C O M I X is the one I'm the most familiar with. I'm not familiar with Calibre. And see, I think yeah. there's an XPNC plugin to actually view comics too. Seriously, really? that's awesome. Yeah, that is really good. Yeah. All right, what's the other one? So he does it in a slideshow manner. Somebody but, link yeah. me the uh, link me the other uh, comic, the Calibre one, and I'll put that in the show it's, notes. Um, it's supposed to be pronounced Calibre. Ah, Caliber. Oh, okay. Now Sorry, I'm my bad. It's a, it's an ebook. It, it's the ebook reader. The guy yeah. who wrote it um, was a an engineer at I think Stanford, and he wrote this as an ebook um, management app. And um, he just happened to get it at the right time when nobody else had written one. And it's the only ebook app that everybody uses, and many of the ebook reader. Um, manufacturers like Kobo and Sony and all that, they recommend you use that application. And he so, 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 um, he only takes donations via a link in the in the app, and people oh. send him money. So yeah, he does extremely good. Yeah, it's okay. really, really good. Okay, and it supports comic books, or CBZ files and things like that, CBR files? I think it supports everything. Okay. Everything I mean, it's extensible. you can imagine. I think it even supports barcode readers, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while since it I've does. looked at it. Really? Yeah. So you can and the that. add-ons cool. are amazing. Yeah, I have one of those little uh, uh, wildcats or whatever the hell the little you know you guys you know, it's shaped like a cat. I can't remember what the hell it was called. You get them unlocked oh. from eBay, and it's still interactive it's development totally too. One of those. They just had a release oh, yeah. on the thirteenth. Yeah, it's good software. Well, that's you mean good. QCat. Yeah, QCat. Thank you. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah, I've got like I've got one of them around here somewhere. Got an unlocked one. So we I got, also, got like sorry, I also fifty use... of them. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't everybody. Yeah. Awesome. Sorry, I also use the uh, wiki generator. You, there's a plugin available for it where you can quite literally specify an ebook page, and it will auto generate you a PDF on that exact page, including references and all links mm. available. Very nice. Mm. Um, uh, there, uh, uh, Peacemaker in the chat room says also there is an Android app that works with uh, Calibre called uh, Beam, which will uh, kind of oh, be like yeah. a Chromecast effect. It'll beam books uh, from your Android device. That's pretty That's cool. That's interesting. Now, back in my day, we used uh, cardboard boxes and plastic bags right. and index cards. Right. And that's how we actually kept that. I mean, this is back before computers were a thing. But yeah. So You know, I am more inclined personally. I would be – actually, I am. I will, without question, I have a much larger digital comic collection than I have. I have like – 
uh, probably total, I have a dozen comics, maybe. maybe. Oh, yeah. And they're all Star Trek. I'm going to be honest. Well, they're all Star Trek. But- I, I, so- I sold all my stuff off when I was like 17, 18 for gas money. So, and right. Just and- for quick clarification, uh, that thing for Android that Pacemaker's talking about, it's called uh, Caliber uh, Companion. Oh, okay. Caliber Companion. He was, he it was lets using you the beam term them. beam gotcha. to kind of talk about what I was called. Gotcha. Mine is called. That's cool. That's cool. So, uh, all right. So, uh, and that's in the Play Store, I would assume. Cool. Uh, I so I've I've amassed a small collection of uh, of um, uh, digital comics myself, and I uh, I just kind of go I just do it all by the directory structure, which is not very interesting, not very yeah, not that not, works for you, right? Yeah. It does work because I don't have a huge collection, but I could see if you had thousands, I could see how that could get a little uh, unmanageable. Oh yeah, yeah, and they can. I my collection was it filled a room let's put it that way but i but again i pissed it away on girls and gas back in the day i see what i do right now (laughs) is i store it in dropbox and then i have an app on my android device that or on on the ipad too i suppose i've never tried on the ipad but it probably works just Hmm. the same there's there's devices that will connect into dropbox and then import all of the uh cbr files and then do them that way too so that's how i've always managed it Right, because yeah. I don't never really, I've never really been all that uh, motivated to sit on my computer and read something on the screen for an extended period of time. Yeah, I can't either. Like I, I know with a, I have a, we have a Kindle proper, you know, like the old school Kindles. That's definitely I'll do that any day over the week for over books, no question. But not on a, not like on a, a Android device or something like that. Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. 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 Uh, one thing I do is uh, I manage all my books in Caliber, and then it lets you um, beam your books from caliber to your kindle uh, over the internet because oh. you can uh, set up a kindle email address well you you get one just for having a kindle and once you set it up in caliber you just select the book in your library that you want to read and it sends it directly to your kindle if you have 3g then it doesn't even matter if you're connected to the wi-fi it just works all the time nice that's kind of cool that is kind of cool i did okay thank you for letting me know because i could see i could see then i could i could put it on the kindle i could go sit down on the couch right. and read it on that e-ink display which would actually be pretty cool uh, all right, Matt. Well, uh, I think that'll kind of uh, wrap us up. I thought I just finished a book last night. Um, I was driving home from watching Thor. I don't know if you've noticed the Thor references, but yeah, I, I have, yeah. yeah uh, uh, Thor, Thor one or two. Uh, it's uh, Thor Dark World. It's it just okay, just came out. One. It's yeah, in the theater yeah. right now. I went and saw it yep. with uh, my buddy John last night, and uh, it was a good movie. And on the way home, I finished an audio book, and I just want to make a pick because I know the holidays are coming up, and sometimes people have a little extra time on their hands. A lot of uh, shows you might listen to are uh, are wussing out and they're taking the holiday off. And so you need that content. There's a book I want to recommend for you. Um, it is an audible book and I'll put the affiliate link in our show notes. If you get this, you do support the show. Um, it's called uh, Star Trek X, The Lost Years. And it is a story of what ha- uh, uh, sort of a side story of McCoy, Spock and Kirk and what happens between the end of Star Trek, the original series and Star Trek, the motion picture, the movie. And what- Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, a little background and and why like Spock decides to take the Kulinar. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. then go screw yourself. But if you know what I'm, oh, if you yeah. know what the Kulinar is, then you, this is a book you should go listen to. I follow uh, you completely. Here's what's awesome: um, narrated by James Duhon, Scotty, and Leonard Nimoy. James Duhon is actually one of the secret uh, talents that James had. Is uh, he was really a lot of the voiceover talent for the motion. Uh, I, I'm sorry for the animated series. He. Uh, yeah. Of course, Scotty was an accent. He was sort of an expert at doing different voices. He reads this book, and it is so it is so engrossing because he each he assigns each character their own their own dialect, their own their own. Language. I mean, it is he just owns every single character. And then whenever Spock comes into the story, it's voiced by Leonard Nimoy. So I'll play a sample. That's cool. Parchment at the slightest touch. Around the middle of the night. The stains on Zackle's handcloth changed from dark green to bright. And the healer who had nursed him for several days left him both signs that he would be dead before sunrise. The relief on the healer's drawn face was evident. She had attended her patient with loathing and terror. For this was Zackle the Terrible, the greatest of all the Kolinar masters, with a mind so powerful he had twice used it to incinerate his enemies into ashes at his feet. 
that's James Duhon right there doing the uh, reading on that's that. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. He, he is so he was so awesome. He's really he's really giving it all he's got. It was a, it's, yeah. it was so good. Uh, and the sample mix there has the uh, music background audio a little higher than it actually is in the in the book. And what's cool about what Audible lets you do is. You, you buy the book, and uh, if you use our trial and you sign up, if you decide to cancel when you click our link, you still get to keep that book. And the Android app and the iOS device app are really nice. And if you have multiple Android devices or if you have, like, an Android device and a Kindle, it will sync yeah. position among them. Uh, oh, wow. That's really awesome. Nice. Yeah, so you can pick up where you left off between devices. It's it's uh, it's an abridged version. It's only two hours and 56 minutes. So I just I wanted to toss this out there because if you have a little extra time over the holiday season and you want essentially something that's like a podcast or like, you know, something that's the length of like Unfilter and the Supporter Show, you could go grab this. So it's Star Trek uh, X, the Lost Year Star Trek, I guess, the 10. Um, I don't know why they call it that. Star Trek, the Lost Years. I'll have a link in the show notes. I just finished it last night. And it, it really kind of bridges the gap between what happened from the end of the original series and Star Trek, the motion picture. And as a fan of Star Trek, obviously, that was pretty cool for me. I know it doesn't apply to all Linux users, uh, but that's your mistake, not mine. All right, Matt. Well, that just about wraps up this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Of course, we'll be back here next Tuesday live over at jblive.tv at 2 p.m. Pacific. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that in your local time. And don't forget, we want to hear from you. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and pop that contact link. Choose Linux Unplugged from the dropdown and give us your feedback. You know, Matt, yes. I was thinking on Sunday, it's the end of the year. It's the last Linux action show of 2013. It's time to look back at our 2013 predictions and make our 2014 predictions. So I think that's what we'll be doing on the big show. So I'll see you on Sunday, okay? See you Sunday. Alright everyone, well thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. See you right back here next week.